0: to 2nd Corinthians chapter 5. I am continuing our study on the commandments and have every reason to resume next week with the sixth. Thou shalt not murder. But I was so moved by a truth this last week that I could not help myself but come share it with you. It has been the theme of the entire week meeting with several people all of whom I love and am close with and uh, at various stages and I want to speak to you on the subject of justification sanctification and perseverance. And I'm going to demonstrate something for you in a moment that if you will stay with me you will never forget the rest of your life. We are actually going to illustrate what sanctification looks like in just a moment. The most requested sermon of late And the one that has impacted more people that do not even belong to this church has been the sermon on calling, regeneration, and conversion. This is the natural second part of that. So this in and of itself is part of a series. As God leads and moves, I will deal with it. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I want you to look at verse 17. And when you get there, would you say, Amen? Amen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, behold, new things have come. Now all all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us and we beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. If you remember, and I would not take notes at this point, I want to review the, high, the, the points that I made a couple weeks ago for the purpose of teaching you the new portion today, which is not long. But dealing with the issue of calling and regeneration. I explain to you and this is on our podcast on transformative truths. Calling is a gracious act of God whereby he invites sinners to accept the salvation that is offered in Christ Jesus. It is both external and an internal calling. This calling being external is the presentation of offering of salvation of Christ to sinners together with the earnest exhortation to accept Christ by faith in order to obtain forgiveness and eternal life. And the invitation is is to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Faith and repentance are the only saving graces. They go together. They cannot be divorced. There are only two saving graces, and they cannot be separated. There is faith and repentance All the others, the preaching of the word, the Lord's Supper, the baptism, the singing, the fellowship of the church. Those are means of grace. They're pictures. They're not pictures for the lost. They're pictures for the born again. The Bible is written for the believers. We need to remember that. It's written for us. It's our book. But saving grace is by faith and repentance. And so... What takes place is that every time you've sat under a man of God who has preached the Word of God, regardless if it's Genesis 1-1 or Revelation 22, if he has preached it, he has preached the gospel. Because all of the Word of God is a message of, of redemption to turn sinners into saints. The whole Bible, that's its message. And so it is an invitation to repent and believe and a promise of forgiveness and salvation that is God's covenant promise. He makes his word, he makes his covenant, it cannot be broken. It is his word. There is the internal calling though that is what you and Christ have experienced but you didn't know when you experienced it. The internal calling is when the Holy Spirit takes the external calling, calling and makes it efficacious, effective. You are completely passive to this and unconscious of it. You do not know it is happening. You never know it is happening. You don't know when it is happening. But it is, but it is always happening while the Word of God is being proclaimed. When the internal calling takes place because the instrumentality is the Word of God. The internal call is the external call made effective by the operation of the Holy Spirit it comes to the sinner always say always the sinner always through the word of god savingly applied by the operation of the holy spirit this is spelled out distinctly in 1 corinthians chapter 1 23 and 24 then after this calling come i shared with you regeneration regeneration is the divine calling and regeneration stands in the closest possible relationship to the calling they, they are in the closest relationship calling and regeneration the nature of regenerating according to scripture is an act of God by which the principle of the new life is implanted in the man I want you to write that down regeneration is where the Holy Spirit implants the new life he implants The new life and the one that is being regenerated. This is not an infusion. This is an implanting. This is what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says and 5.17. This is the new creation. This happens to you. You are completely unconscious of this at this moment when it takes place. It is implanted in you. It is when the word of God savingly, is applied to you by the Holy Spirit. And when the Word of God is savingly applied to you by the work of the Holy Spirit, God implants the new life in you. You are still not conscious of this. But it is taking place while the Word of God is being proclaimed. And so what happens? How do we know? We know because we know who the author of it is. The author is God. God is the author of regeneration. It would be important for you to write that down. This is genuine, theologically true. God is the author of regeneration, and He represents it as the work of the Holy Spirit. So I want you to hear me what I tell you, because I didn't tell you this the last time, and I, I, I cannot take time to do it again. It is the implanting of the new life. It is direct and it is immediate. Write that down. It is direct and it is immediate. It is not a process of time. And it is creative. It is creative. It is direct, immediate, and creative. He is a new creature. Amen? And its necessity and place in the order of salvation comes from the fact that all by nature the Bible says we are dead in sin. That is the first two chapters of Ephesians. And we must be endowed with a new spiritual life in order to enjoy the the divine favor and communion with God. So regeneration is to be born again. Because we're dead. Then we talked about conversion. So you have calling, regeneration, and then we have conversion, which comprises repentance and faith. Now you are becoming conscious of the inward work of God. This is not something that is just like hearing the national anthem or watching a campaign in Lee Green when yeah. saying I'm proud to be an American. It's not that kind of thing. The conversion process is a process whereby God causes the regenerate Listen, where God causes the regenerated to consciously turn to Him in faith and repentance. That's that's the first thing the born again do. They act like the born again immediately, it's immediate. It's direct, and it's creative. When the baby is born, it may come out, it may breathe, it may not be breathing. They have a remedy for that. Both my children were born, they got a spanking immediately. It worked. Pop! There was a direct cause. The causality was the pop, and the cry was the result. So when the, regeneration, the calling and the regeneration is take place, which God does that, then the person that has been called and regenerate all of a sudden consciously turns to God in faith and repentance. And so repentance, I showed you, has a negative element, and this is very helpful to all of us, and repentance looks to the past, May be defined as the change wrought in the conscious life of the sinner by which he turns away from his sin. Repentance looks to the past, but there's the positive element. In distinction from faith, in repentance, faith looks forward. We look forward, and there are different kinds of faith. There are those that believe they are saved because they had a temporary faith, a faith which embraces the truth of religion with some prompting of the conscious and the stirring of the affections. They had had an epiphany. They had a theophany. They had some kind of spiritual thing that happened where they got the willies. There's temporal faith, but that's not saving faith. But it is faith. It's not saving faith. There is miraculous faith. Miraculous faith is is where a person's convictions are moved by what they have seen with their eyes and they believe will be performed on themselves or was performed on themselves for their behalf. That's not saving faith either. All miracles that were done were to testify to the glory of Jesus and the glory of Jesus in one area, the area of redemption. Those who continually see today and look to miracles are not looking for miracles to see saints, sinners turned into saints. They're looking for sour experiences to become sweet. They're looking for aches and pains to become joys and delights. They're looking for all kinds of things. Everything Jesus did was for the purpose of regeneration because from Genesis 1 to the end of the Bible, it is all about God's covenant people being taken from being sinners to saints. And you can't be sanctified if you don't know how to suffer. Suffering is a hard teacher. But it's the test. Are you in Christ? Or are you in some kind of miraculous faith? Or even some kind of temporary faith? So we must know then what are we talking about here. And what it is this. Saving faith has its, listen, write it down, has its seat in the heart And its root is in the regenerated life. And as I told you a couple weeks ago, we live in a time and particularly in a particular nation where people want the fruit without the root. You know, if you don't show up for work and you're a really good worker, excellent worker, but if you don't show up for work, something's going to happen to you. You may be the best worker there is. They may know you know that you're the best worker there is and they may know And you may know, they know, you know, you're the best worker. But if you don't show up for work, what's going to happen to you? They're going to replace you. Is that right? And the reality of it is, is that you want the fruit, but not the root. And so what takes place here is that the saving faith is not seated in my wants. Saving faith is not seated in my temporary pains and sorrows, it's not it's not seated in my emotional experience that I had it's not, it's not rooted in this one moment in time or something like this, no saving faith the Bible says is rooted in is, it, the seat is in the heart and it is rooted in the regenerate life and so it is this, it is defined then this way positive conviction that is wrought in the heart by the Holy Spirit as to the truth of the gospel, the good news, that Jesus Christ saves sinners, and a hearty, listen, a hearty reliance on the promises of God. A hearty reliance on the promises of God. For everything. There's the intellectual element to it. There is an emotional element to it. There is also an element of trust to it. But you must understand this, that faith, that saves is the faith that has been given as a gift. Ephesians 2 8 9 for by grace you save through faith not of yourself it's the gift of God not of works lest any man should boast. The only way to have faith is there has to be the grace of internal calling and the grace of regeneration and the grace to believe and repent. That's saving faith. But for the last hundred years since World War I, Protestantism in this country, in North America, has all been about the doctrine of justification, which is the doctrine of salvation. You have people that are called Calvinists, but then there are those that are Reformed, and many and most I know who say they are Reformed, they are not. They're Calvinists. Because they, if you're premillennial. You cannot be reformed, but you can be as Calvinist as any reform guy. But that's what's t- taken place the last 30 years in the church is doctrinal understanding, and the church has been overwhelmed with trying to ha- make sure it has the right answers. And I must admit, I have been part of that because I want to make sure you got the right stuff. But what I'm t- sharing you today is, to, is actually not coming to your head. It's going to your heart, and in a moment, you're going to see it in your hands. And so it's just a primary review, but then there is the assurance of faith. There is the assurance of faith. And in saying that, the correct view is that true faith is trust in God for everything. And it naturally carries. Listen to me and look at me. Saving faith that God gives naturally carries with it for everyone that is saved by God, a sense of both safety and security. No one that is born again lacks that truth. But why are there so many that say they are, and they do not have it? because that's all they are. It's temporary or it's emotional. But when God does the work, He implants a new nature in you. Not a new behavior, a new nature. And so, you will never, just write this down, you will never have assurance of faith in your conscious mind if you do not live a full-orbed life of faith where everything is faith. Well, how do I know it's faith? I know it's faith because I'm trusting Him and I feel secure and safe when I'm a dollar short in a day late. So that is what we learned. Now let me briefly show you this only to give you the definition to teach you to teach you the main part of the lesson for your heart. So this is the process by which a person is saved, but once one is born again, there is something that transpires and it is the great doctrine of justification. Justification simply means this. It is a legal act of God by which He declares the sinner righteous on the basis of the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. It is is defined, this is new, defined as the legal act of God by which He declares the sinner righteous on the basis of the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. So listen to this. It is not an act or process of renewal. It is not like regeneration or conversion Or sanctification. It does not affect the condition, but the state of the sinner. He still stays completely, totally lost, as well, he stays completely as much of a sinner as he was after justification as he was before. It is is what God says. And God says, I now see the I now I now give you what is known as I impute to you. The righteousness of Jesus. I don't infuse you with it. I impute it to you. And otherwise, In other words, now I see you like I see my son. You've not changed. But I, God says, I see you like I see my son. I don't know what that does to you. That is absolutely transformative to me. Someone asked me the other day, said, you're preaching. What, what's happened? This. This whole process. of understanding, all these years. And then, and then the total joy of getting to come and share it with you from the heart. So justification takes place outside of the center in the tribunal of God. It takes place outside, and it's a result of the calling, the regeneration, the, the uh, faith and repentance. The new nature has been implanted in you. But God's justice has been imputed to you. It's not inside of you. It's outside of you. And God has declared, you are now seen through my Son. Can you imagine what that means? So I want you to do something. When you look at the people that most upset you right now, I want you as a believers to start looking at them through the cross and maybe they will see the change in you. And so what does that mean, justification? That means that God forgives our sins. All of them. Premeditated, post-done, everything. Every sin is forgiven on the basis of what? The righteousness of Jesus. And what does He do? Not only, this is what I love. We did a Bible study on this one morning. uh, A bunch of guys around here. We had to stop and come back the next week to discuss the topic. You are adopted as children of Christ. Children of God. Heirs and brothers and sisters of Christ. What have you done? What part of any of this have you done on your own? Nothing. Nothing. The very faith that you've expressed was not based upon an emotion. It was not based upon a temporary experience. It was something birthed in you by God through grace. God has so far done everything. It's amazing. You look at the, and you say, why aren't we doing the commandments? Because God in His sovereignty wanted me to be able to say this right now. When you look at the first four commandments, what do you have to do? Nothing. Nothing. One God, no image, no trivia, and rest. That's it. And there are people that believe that they actually have to work for it. But it's, because they don't, it's not that they don't understand justification, they don't understand sanctification. And this is all new to all of us. And it will define the rest of the ministry of my life. It is so wonderful. We're adopted as children of God. When does the justification take place? God says that it takes place when the person applies and appropriates the justifying grace of God through saving That's when it happens. You don't change. Your wife will still know. You leave the toilet seat up. She'll know. that you walk across the floor in your boot socks and the dog hair gets on them. She'll know. He will know if you didn't water the trees. He will know, ladies, if you hid the remote control. Oh, he'll know. The time of justification, though, is the moment that faith, saving faith, is accomplished. So write this down. Faith is the instrument or the appropriating appropriating organ of justification. It's faith, but it's saving faith. What is the object of the doctrine of justification? and then we will move into what we're here for. What is the objections to the, this doctrine of justification? Oh, there are many. We are surrounded by it here on this street. It's simply as this: the gift of Christ, God's reckoning of his righteousness to us and his dealing with sinners is righteous is all grace start from finish. That is correct, and that is what is objected to. I would not put it past any of you to object to what I just said. That God reckoning of His righteousness to us and His dwelling and His dealing with sinners as righteous is all grace from start to finish. I would not doubt it a moment and I would not hold it against you either if you said I don't agree with that. I have got to do something after all. I have to I it's manifest destiny. I have to be control of this. I have to have free will. I have to have choice. I me 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 me. God is not big enough. He must have myself. God does not declare that They are righteous in themselves, but that they are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We can never make ourselves righteous in this life. And I'm going to show you that visually in a moment. There's nothing you can do to make yourself righteous in this life. But there's nothing you can do either to make you be viewed as righteous by God. Except the faith He gives you through His grace. It's all of grace. So, justification, listen, lays the foundation for the great and glorious subject we take up now. It lays the foundation for living a relationship in a relationship with Christ and brings about truly the guarantee of the godly life. The born again will be godly. Those who are not and say they are will never be godly lest they be born again. And so write down in capital letters sanctification. This is what I want to show you in the next few moments. On the back of your bulletin there are some definitions for you to look at later. They will help you. It is not the content of this message, but it does help. Let me give you three points quickly. Number one, the nature and characteristics of sanctification. It is the gracious and continuous operation of the Holy Spirit. It is the gracious and continuous operation of the Holy Spirit by which He purifies the sinner. By which He purifies the sinner, comma. Renews His whole nature in the image of God renews his whole nature in the image of God, and, listen, enables him to perform good and godly works. Sanctification is defined as the gracious and continuous operation of the Holy Spirit in which he purifies the sinner, renews his whole nature in the image of God, and enables him to perform good works. Now listen, with your ears. Listen to me. It is different from justification because justification takes place in a singular moment. It is not a process. It is immediate, it's definitive, and it's creative. Boom! It's done. Sanctification takes place in the inner life of the man for the rest of his natural life. Justification takes place outside the man. Sanctification takes place inside the man. It comes not outside in, but what's inside out. It is not a legal act like justification. It is a recreation act. It is a recreation act. And it is a lengthy process. And none of us, none of us will ever reach perfection here. Ever. Now when you think about that, Philippians 1 verse 6, He who began a good work in you. Wait a minute. When did he begin? With the calling. You were favored somehow to live where you could hear the preaching of the Bible. You were favored to live somewhere you could hear the preaching of the Bible. And then God internally, if if you're born again internally, the Holy Spirit made that efficacious, effective, causing you to be born again. He regenerated you. You did, and you were not aware of it. And then that regeneration produced something immediately. faith, because it was a gift that accompanies it, a gift by grace, where you could have faith that would save you and repentance, that shows that not only did you turn from your sin, but in everything you turned to God. Repentance is more about who you turn to than what you turn from. That's just, that was a moment. But then, listen, our life is a battle. It's a constant battle with the flesh. So what do I do? I go back to my justification. I look at it. I look at my faith, I throw myself upon God. God, I am a sinner. I cannot stop doing this. Even in the midst of it, I want to stop it. What help is there for such a wretched man as I? For I am a preacher. And as the Apostle Paul said, he said, What hope is there for a man such as I? And he said, But thanks be to God for the Lord Jesus Christ. Even Paul was being sanctified. And so what happens... There is the gradual removal of the pollution and corruption of human nature. I have Bible verse after Bible verse and Bible verse after this. And that gradual development of the new life is in the consecration to God. We are made holy and become more holy. Amen. Whose work is that? Yours? No. God's. He's got that too. So there is the imper- So I've shown you the nature of it. Let me show you the imperfect character of sanctification in this life. While it affects every part of a man, it affects every part of us, the spiritual development of believers remains imperfect in its life. We will never fully attain spiritual perfection. Now some say if you've received this gift or you've had this mystical experience or these things you have. Well, the only thing is they can't tell you from the Bible where that is. And the born again aren't going to fall for it. And so they must contend with sin as long as you live. So I'm going to tell you something. You will contend with sin the rest of your life. I'm sorry to tell you that. I am truly sorry to tell myself that. But we're going to contend with sin the rest of our life, our own sinning. And as John Newton said, all I know, I was a great sinner but I have a greater Savior. And what the Apostle Paul says, where sin abounds, how much more then does grace abound to those in Christ? Man, listen, what happens that takes place in the heart of man will naturally affect his whole life. That's why this is an issue of your heart. Because everything from your heart flows everything in your life. Your mind, your morals, your will, your speech, everything flows from the heart and Jesus says it's deceitfully wicked above all things. That doesn't change when you become a believer. That doesn't change when you become a believer. But what begins to change is you because now with the truth you realize this is what he has done for me everything that's more it took me an hour and 15 minutes to pick four hymns as i looked at all of these hymns and to pick exactly the right words to use in the confession of sin and all of these things to waiting and the reason i use the term waiting is cuz so many of you're waiting for something else you're waiting for a building you're waiting for this folks wait no longer This process has begun in you if you are in Christ. And I'm going to show you in about five minutes exactly how to prove it and clear it up for you. What did he mean when he says, He made him who knew no sin on our behalf, that we who are sinners may be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? So the imperfect character of sanctification in his life is that you're going to contend and I'm going to contend with as long as we live and, and our lives are going to be characterized by constant warfare between the flesh and the spirit and even the best are still confessing their sin. And they should. That's your life. Don't go around though bragging that you're a great sinner. And listen... One thing you all need to remember is this: It is ridiculous for anyone to go up now. I know I'm not perfect. Well, I guarantee I would never accused any of us of being perfect. So we got that we got that understood. God doesn't. He didn't come for the perfect. He sent the perfect for the imperfect. Amen. Hallelujah. Sanctification and good works. Sanctification naturally leads to a life of good works. Now what are good works? Because lost people can do good works. Lost people do lots of good works. There are a lot of good people that are going to hell when they die. Most. What are good works? Good works, and you must understand this, write this down, good works are not perfect works. Amen? Good works are not perfect works. They are works that spring from the principle of love to God and faith in Him. Good works spring from the principle of love to God and faith in Him. That is the standard of a good work that's what makes the lost's good works different than the saved good works the bent of the person that's born again does this because he or she wants to please God and usually it will involve sacrifice which is a sanctifying work and so, you want to know what that leads to? Perseverance. And I want to just say this briefly. Perseverance. I'm giving you justification, capital sanctification. Now, perseverance. Let me show you something about perseverance. Are you ready? I, I, I'm going to tell you, I'm intentionally trying to slow down. And I, and I don't want to slow down, I don't want this to be over. There is something so good about this moment. But we must. Here it is. The perseverance of the saints. Now you've talked to a lot of folks that understand the tulip. And the concepts of Calvinism, they will talk to you about perseverance of the saints and they'll use terms like this. They'll say, yes, I believe in the perseverance of the saints. But what they're saying is this, and they don't understand it. Is they're saying, I believe in the perseverance of the saint that the guy that's saved is going to keep on doing it to the end. And that's not what is meant from the canons of Dort, the, canon of, the canons of Dort that taught the perseverance of saints. That's not what they said. Listen, the perseverance of the saints naturally suggests a continuous activity of believers whereby they preserve in the way of salvation. So write that down. Perseverance of the saints suggests a continuous activity of believers whereby they preserve in the way of salvation. What do you mean they preserve in the way of salvation? I thought they had to preserve in the way of faith. No, they preserve in the way of salvation. What is that? Justification. Sanctification. Regeneration, repentance, faith, all of those things. And here is where assurance is firmly rooted. The assurance of a man's salvation lies in the fact that it is in God that God preserves the saint. Assurance of man's salvation lies in the fact that it is God who preserves the saint. Think about that. What do you have to do then? Believe. It's all of grace. And that continuous operation of the Holy Spirit in the believer by which the work of divine grace that began in the heart is continued to be brought into completion through the hands of the man that's been born again. The perseverance of the saint does not mean the preservation of the saint. It is the perseverance of the saints. The saints of God will continue in the process of sanctification and God will preserve them regardless of how fast or slow it comes. They are held secure. It is not based upon emotion. It is not based upon some temporary experience. It is not based upon some form of mysticism. It is not based upon anything apart from the Word of God. But on the complete and total meritorious work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the behalf of those who will believe. Now you must watch me. Denny, come up here and help me. Um, Denny, I want you to come stand right here okay. and face the crowd. Okay. Just, just face crowd You don't have to talk or do anything. But Denny is going to represent Jesus Christ. This is the best day of your life. Okay? Notice he is not a graven image. We're not going to worship him. But Denny is going to represent Jesus Christ. All right? We're going to crucify you in a minute, but you just stay right here. Okay? No. So you're going to be Jesus. So stand there. Now, Mike, I want you to come up here. This is my number one son in law. Mike, you come over here. Watch this, Larry. You need to watch this. All right, you face everybody. This is Mike. It, it, he is currently trying to make us more proud of him than we even know how to be. He's just such a good guy. But since he's so self secure and so strong, you are Adolf Hitler. Okay. Oh. <laughs> You're gonna this is the worst day. But so he is Adolf Hitler. Jesus, Adolf Hitler. So you just stand here. Now, Truett, I need you to come here. This is Truett. This is my number one son. He, he just, he's just such a good, good young man. He loves the Lord. He reads theology. Uh, he's learning to play golf. He handles money well. He drives too fast. But he's real responsible. People want him around. He's a family favorite. He reads his Bible, he journals, he studies, and when he doesn't scream at parties, or not parties, but weddings, he can lead singing at church or else he's going through adolescence. And so Jesus, I mean, so, so <laughs> Truett here is, is the right, most righteous young man I've ever met. I mean, that really, really has a heart for the Lord and, and really tries. But he is not going to be Truett right now He's going to be probably the most righteous man that ever lived on the planet outside of Jesus Christ. So he is going to be the Apostle Paul. And so he's the Apostle Paul and he is justified. The work of justification has made him sanctified. He has been made, rendered to look holy in the eyes of God. He's a Jew of Jews, a Hebrew of Hebrews, tribe of Benjamin. He's, he's reconciled to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him being crucified. And yet his righteousness is as filthy rags and is a wretched man by his own testimony. And so I come and I stand at the Apostle Paul here next to Adolf Hitler. Now, do you see the great chasm that separates Jesus from Paul and Hitler? There's a great chasm here. They're completely separated. Because over here, Jesus has all the righteousness, perfection, without sin, everything. So much so that He is seated at the right hand of His Father because His work is finished. You don't sit and work, unless you're a preacher. But anyway, He's done. And He was a preacher. Uh, So He's done. He's absolutely perfect. But look at the chasm. Look at the spectrum between Paul and Jesus. Look at the Paul the redeemed, Paul the justified, Paul the sanctified. Look at the distance. It's it's insurmountable. But look at the distance between him and Hitler. It's negligible. They stand together. Because the righteousness of Christ is so much more than the righteousness of us. But one day, Paul's going to die. Paul's going to leave this earth, and everything that has been said true of him, where God says you have been justified and sanctified, the day he dies, Paul will be glorified, and he will be just like Jesus, if Jesus will have it. Do you see? Sanctification is not about becoming sinless. Sanctification is the process whereby everything in my life conforms to be going from a sinner to a saint. And I will never on earth look any better than Adolf Hitler in the eyes of the Bible as far as a man. But when I die, I will be as sinless as Christ and we have a word for it, glory. You can't get there unless you're born again. So many doubt their faith because they believe they're somewhere to be in this chasm, moving this way. You can't. In this world, you will never reach sinless perfection. So you can't move. But when you die, your sanctification turns into glorification because at that moment, that work which God began in you, He will complete it and you will be made holy, holy, holy. Amen.